Hello, everyone. We're almost there, almost to Election Day. It's November. The analysts are back again this week with another, hopefully, riveting discussion about the election. Riveting, illuminating, all that. Illustrative. Yes. Here on KCTS9.org, vote 2016. I'm Joni Balter, KCTS9 political analyst with C.R. Douglas, political analyst for Q13, and we are doing another take on the politics of our region. Thanks for joining us. Today, we are going to talk about some of the latest polling in the statewide election, the governor's race, the discrepancy really between two important polls in that contest. We also have the sizzling hot Secretary of State's race. We should discuss a few of the statewide initiatives. And we'll give you our final thoughts on sound transit, which may be getting a little bit closer. Hey, CR, how you doing? I'm good. Had my coffee. Did you have too much coffee? Not too much. Okay. I think just about I don't right. know how you can tell. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> okay, there are perhaps two close statewide races right now, and we can argue a little bit about whether one of these actually is close. Let's start with the governor's race between Democrat Jay Inslee and Republican Bill Bryant. We have two polls to discuss, the KCTS 9 Crosscut Washington poll and the Elway poll. Elway shows this race sort of where it has been since the primary, and actually the results of the primary. But another poll, the Washington poll, shows this at six points. So Elway has it at an 11-point spread between the two candidates with advantage Jay Inslee, and the Washington poll shows it just six. Uh, One difference could be that Elway's poll does 502 likely voters, and the Washington poll interviewed 750 registered voters. What's your gut telling you about this? My gut says this race, and I am just, this is straight out of the stomach here, is about five to seven point difference, again, with the advantage for Jay Inslee. So I guess I agree more with the Washington poll. There is this trend in Washington to split your ticket. Hillary Clinton is expected in these polls to win either by 14 or 15 or 16 or something like that. So you could say... In the governor's race, Inslee, if he wins, is underperforming in that sense. What are you thinking, CR? Well, in terms of the race and the polls, I, I think you're right. It feels just in my gut, too, it's a six or seven point race and not a 10 point race. However, the Elway poll was actually conducted later That's than a the very UW good point. poll. Yes. And as yes. you say, the methodology is probably a little bit, uh, probably a little bit better in terms of their, their polling likely voters and not just registered voters. But having said that, it just feels like it's not a plus 10 race, it's a minus 10 race, something within 10 points. I think Inslee's strength in this whole race for a year can be explained by a lot of different things, but it comes you mean like down. Like the ad with Barack Obama, where that's. Uh... I mean, his ad with Barack Obama helps. He's in a blue state. He's running on the presidential cycle. Bill Bryant doesn't have quite the resume heft. I mean, there's a lot of kind of ways you can you can sort of explain it. But two numbers in these polls really stick out, which is. Is Washington on the right track? Asked in both of them, and they're both at like 55, 56%. So when you have people that happy, it's a pretty good number, that happy about Washington, it is tough to make a case to fire the incumbent. And that's and that's really bottom line probably what's what's helping Inslee most. Yes, but we are sort of, we have that streak of independence. Yes, we're blue. Yes, we're democratic. But we have that streak of independence where we love to split the ticket. We do love to split the ticket. There's an interesting phenomenon that is likely to happen this year. You know, most of the time, our governor's races are closer than our presidential races. 
And that's because, basically, this phenomenon that Democrats are willing to kind of go moderate at the governor's level. So, for instance, in 2012, Barack Obama won about 56% of the vote here in Washington, and Jay Inslee won 51%. So more Democrats voted for Obama than Inslee. The same thing happened in 2008, where Barack Obama got 57 58%, Greg Warr got 51 52%. Even in 2004, John Kerry did better than Greg Warr. So this this crossover of Democrats kind of kind of willing to go for a moderate Republican in the governor's race is something that Republicans bank on. I mean, that's their hope is that they can get enough of those crossovers. It hasn't worked, even though there's been fall off between the president and governor on these tickets. They still haven't elected a Republican. But the difference this year, we don't know yet, but these polls show something very fascinating, which is, Jay Inslee may outperform Hillary Clinton. So just the reverse of what's happened this in the last several Yeah, but several you're elections. reading it differently than I am. You're doing this whole business about whether Jay Inslee or Hillary Clinton is above 50%. And I seem, rightly or wrongly, uh, to be focused more on the difference between the candidates. And don't forget, in the presidential race, you have, you have the independent candidates and the Green Party. So that is skewing the ability to get, shall we say, north of 50%. So it could be, if I'm reading these polls correctly, Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump could be between 14 and 17 percentage points. And again, the difference between Inslee and Bryant closer to about five to seven. And if you'll recall, in 2012, Rob McKenna he came a lot because he was the Republican candidate against Jay Inslee for, for the open seat at that time. And that was three points. Well, right. I'm not saying Hillary Clinton's going to win the state. It's just going to be an interesting phenomenon that in Washington, a blue state, if these polls are right, she may get 50 or under 50 percent. It's not inconceivable that she gets 47, 48 percent. And Jay Inslee you know, whereas past Democratic nominees have gotten 56, 57, 58 percent, and, and, and Jay Inslee will do better than that. So she could perform eight to 10 points lower than the last several, than certainly Barack Obama. Don't forget, Gary Johnson was on the ballot in 2012. Jill Stein was on the, Jill Stein was on the ballot in 2012. <laughs> so these choices were there. Yeah, but here's, here's the difference. And it has to do with sort of uh, overall disgust with both presidential candidates, which really wasn't there in 2012. There was a lot of excitement in this state, especially uh, for Barack Obama. Right. I'm just saying that, that, that Hillary Clinton will not do nearly as well. She'll still win the state. But it's just an example of, you know, the challenges she's having state nationally. You know, she just doesn't have the same energy and the same enthusiasm in Washington or around the country that she had. And, and certainly not helped by the whole FBI Comey comes along and and leaves this just sort of question mark above her head. Absolutely. I swear I saw a question mark above her head. <laughs> and going back to the governor's race, again, you know, we both feel like he's going to comfortably win, Jay Inslee, that is. And one thing he's doing with his strong position because he knows he's 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 going to get this office very likely is he's using his power his money his, his time money. Yeah. to to elect democratic senate candidates you know that's been his sort of uh you know uh, wall if you will down olympia that there's a lot of things that that he wants to do he's been able to pass a lot of them out of the democratic house but they get stalled in the republican senate so republicans have a 
two-seat majority. I mean, if, if Democrats can win two seats back, they take that body again, and that's going to really help the Inslee agenda. So he's been spending a lot of time in about three or four really key districts, because it comes down to just a couple places, where he's trying to elect the Democrats. And we'll see if kind of the fact that he's got such a comfortable governor's race and can spend time and money in these other places is going to make a difference. I want to zoom in on one of those state Senate races, the seat currently held by state Senator Steve Litzow, a Republican. So he's from Mercer Island. And he, um, it's not that his opponent, her name is Lisa Wellman. Lisa Wellman. It's not that that's a household name, not, not really, but it's just, there's a couple things going on in that one. First of all, that's where most of the, uh, the biggest number uh, for spending is going on at the moment, although there's yeah, big money and, and some others. Bucks. Yeah, I mean, this a lot is of unheard dough. of for a state Senate a race. A lot of dough, but it's the control of the Senate, so that's that explains that. But two things intrigue me in that. Number one, Mercer Island has been trending Democratic very much so. And so it's going to, this could just be a tide that Steve Litzow cannot uh, surmount. Uh, because of that trend, it's it's a tough race for Steve Litzo. You know, he's he's been a, a, a you know a popular guy there, but the district has moved so far as you say within his tenure. So he's kind of getting it from both ends. I mean, both the Democratic members of the House in that district are Democrats. Obama won it in 2012. Jay Inslee won it in 2012. They're both likely to win again. So kind of from the top and the bottom, he's getting squeezed. He's one of the few Republicans that's there. And, you know, they have a lot of, of energy into this campaign money. But Democrats see that as their best chance to pick up a seat. Interestingly, Obama who has been doing some endorsements for these down-ballot races, did an endorsement for Lisa Wellman, the Democrat in this race. And, and you know, asterisk, Obama's mother actually lived on Mercer Island for a couple Island. of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So that makes that interesting. But but it all explains why Steve Litzow thinks it's a hunky-dory idea to get over there and do a pamphlet showing him next to uh, Democrats that people would recognize on Mercer Island. And a couple of them got not very happy about all that, and said, you can't pretend that we're endorsing you because we're not. Yeah. Even though, you know, it is fair. I, I have to say this about Steve Litzow. You know, he does work with Democrats at times. So there are photos. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're endorsing. That's correct. One of the most notable photos, and I see it all the time um, online because this, this ad appears in banners, is he's with Jay Inslee. You know, on the floor of the Senate, and the and the and the, the headline is something like Steve Litzow working with Jay Inslee to put more money into education. I mean, he's doing everything he can to look like a Democrat in this race. He knows he needs to look like a Democrat, needs to look mod moderate if he's gonna if he's gonna win this district that's basically become blue over the course of his tenure. He should get one of those you know football sweaters that has a big D for some school we can't even think of the <laughs> name of, right? But interestingly, you know, uh, the Times had a good article. On these, on these three or four, you know, really intense districts, there's $8 million, $8 million in just about three or four races. And it's, it's you know, as you say, the, 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 the power of the Senate is in the balance and both sides are, are, are really working these, these districts. Let's go into the Secretary of State's race because let's, you and I have talked go. about it before. It's certainly an interesting race. It's certainly closer than the governor's race based on the polls. There's been a lot of noise recently. There's been a lot of dust-ups. The latest one is over some Spanish-translated ballots and voter information, specifically about this word felon. The Spanish version apparently suggested that even those who have a misdemeanor 
criminal record aren't allowed to vote, and that's actually wrong. It's just felons who are under state supervision that can't vote. So Wyman's office had to kind of follow up with, with clarifying translated voter information. Doesn't affect a huge number of people, but it is the latest in a string of rookie missteps by the Secretary of State around this election. And Tina Podlodowski, the Democratic opponent, um, has been pretty effectively exploiting them. I mean, they're not really scandals, but you sort of take them all together and it kind of counters Wyman's narrative that she's an effective elections administrator. Well, also, uh, the Secretary of State's office has had to do some extra work, as I guess we would call it, in Pierce County where some of the voter information contained the wrong date for the time to return your ballot. As we all know, Election Day is November 8th, and this must have been an older picture that was included or something because it said November 4th. And so lawyers for the Democratic Party uh, have been after her, and she's going to have to, the Pierce County folks are going to have to clarify. Yeah, and they're going to send out a mailer, and it, it, it wasn't just a mistake. I mean, they they actually had a, a clear voter pamphlet insert that said, mail by November 4th. Um, and their their point there was they were trying to encourage people to, to early vote, but it made it sound like you had to mail by November 4th, not which was their intention, encourage you to mail them by November 4th. So it's just another problem, again, with the election system that, that, that Tina's kind of brought up. And I would say with this race, interested in your feedback here, it feels like Tina has controlled the agenda, has controlled the narrative, has put, put Kim Wyman on the defensive. I mean, this has been about Kim Wyman and her record, and that's where you want it to be if you're, if you're Tina Podlodowski. Well, I, two thoughts on that. I can't tell you how many people anecdotally have told me, you know, I really, you know, I, I am a Democrat, but I don't really just want to vote straight Democrat. I want to be thoughtful about this. So I want to say I voted for a Republican, and it's going to be Kim Wyman. And so they're trying to get, you know, to that. Uh, I do think it's also interesting that Tina Podlodowski has made an issue of the stamp. I mean, the stamp is not very much unless you're in one of the counties that requires two stamps. And even then, that that hasn't really been a, like a voting inhibitor. But there's another way that Tina Podlodowski is trying to say, we can do better. We can get more people. Let's get rid of the stamp. Yeah. Stampless I mean, voting. I, I, I disagree with you a little bit. I think that's a bigger issue than than you might think. I mean, some some counties it requires two stamp, but every county it requires at least one. And 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 Tina Tina is pushing a couple things. She's vote she's pushing voter turnout and voter registration that 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 both should be better. And one thing about turnout, you hear I don't know how many it, it, it affects, but you hear that. You know, people don't like having to put the stamp on. So she's saying, let's do postage-free stamps. Don't, don't, postage-free balloting. You don't need a stamp for ballots. She's talking about same-day voter registration. Um, she's talking about automatic voter registration. So she's, she's pushing, she's pushing Kim Wyman on these things, again, which, which, which is controlling the agenda. So, so what we're not talking about and what Tina would would just prefer not to talk about also is that she doesn't have elections administration experience, right? She's never run an election. Uh, she has a tech background, and she's she's like cleverly trying to rebrand this as a tech job. That the problem with voting is 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 the IT systems need to be better, et cetera, and that she, and, she, and that she would prevail on that. I have a thought about the stamp for a second here. I just I I noticed that millennials. 
this might be this might be a weird observation. They don't know that there's actually a post office and that they sell these things called stamps. <laughs> and so in some ways, I guess I will agree with that part of it, because to the, a couple of millennials that I know, I might be related to one or two of them. Big deal to go get a stamp to put that on the ballot. So, yeah, so there is a point you know, there. I think I think it's you know it's yeah. a barrier for some. I still think Wyman has the edge here. I mean, the latest Elway poll because we've been talking about polls shows her at forty one percent. Again, she's the incumbent. Tina at thirty seven percent and twenty two percent undecided. So there's still a lot of undecideds out there. But interestingly, when you look at undecideds, they in initiatives. They sort of break to no. If they're yeah. undecided, if in doubt, leave it out. When right? in doubt, leave it out. If it's too complicated, if they're undecided at this point, they're probably not going to be for an initiative. And undecideds in candidate races typically do the safe thing as well, which is go for the incumbent. So I still think Wyman has the edge here. But if there's a real blue wave, uh, Tina could get this. Yeah. So so one difference between these two candidates, Kim Wyman was an auditor. She has run elections. She even comes from Thurston County auditing, which is sort of uh, just a coincidental history of the office of secretary of state. So as you say, Tina Polodowski, she wants this to become a tech job. And you have to think if, if these cyber attacks and worries become real or, you know, are actually born to be true by the election, maybe that is a good argument. Maybe that does. She came from Microsoft and the Seattle City Council, although City Council experience is sort of less relevant here than the Microsoft experience. But, you know, that could become, it could become more of a tech job as time goes on. Yeah, and we're definitely, that's one we're all, we're all going to be watching on election night. Let's pivot to some of those high-profile initiatives uh, that are that are getting most of the attention. There are a lot in the ballot, but a few of them are really are really kind of sucking up the oxygen. Um, how do you see these going down? Going down? You don't mean like <laughs> down. You mean happening? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to start with uh, the polling and Initiative 732, the carbon tax. And so there's a, this is actually the biggest difference in the in the initiatives between the two polls. The Elway poll has the carbon tax at 40% and the Washington poll has it at 51%. As you pointed out earlier, one was taken before. The Washington poll predates the Elway poll. Uh, you know what that sounds like to me? 45%. And that means the carbon tax is unlikely to pass. It's too confusing. There's too many ifs. And I think it was always, here, here's where the, the problem happened here. It was always hard to explain to people who weren't in the inside of this. You know, it's wonky. It's hard to understand. The sales tax is going down, but then it's going up. The carbon tax is going up and then, meh. but I think it was really, really hard to explain the whole time. Why is the environmental community so split on this? Yeah. And they and they have a split. We've talked kind of in the past about what has divided them, um, and I think that's that's part of the problem. Their base isn't isn't united here. I too believe it's a long shot, like you do. I mean, I think those polls suggest that it's not gonna not gonna happen. You know, Elway's is at forty percent. He has said very very clearly that no initiative that has polled at forty percent 
this close to an election has ever won. And we know that ourselves. And that is that just because, We know that ourselves from yeah. all these years of covering initiatives. They have to start really high. And then if there is an opposition campaign, it will come in and just create doubt, doubt, doubt. I mean, you got to start typically at like 60% in spring, summer, because you almost always lose support as you get closer to the election. Doubts kind of kind of get introduced and all the rest. So you know you're going to lose some. So, so, so you can't start at 40 in October and expect to win in two weeks. There is a little momentum, however, and we should point this out. Um, there's a little 11th hour kind of kind of buzz. None other than Leonardo DiCaprio actually has weighed in on this one. He now he, he says he supports Initiative 732. So there's a little star power there. 50 UW scientists came out recently. They support it. There's been some national attention in the Washington Post and New York Times favorable to this. So there's there's you know, something going on here at the 11th hour. There must be a little bit of fear on the opponents because you are seeing some late money I saw the late on money, both sides, absolutely. but especially late money coming in on the no side from the fossil fuel industry and all the rest with, with ads saying how this should be, would be so horrible. So they seem a little bit scared. Having said all that, it's, it's unlikely to pass. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the other measures and some of the polling and sort of how we can extrapolate from polling to kind of what will happen. So the right, the gun one, 1491 and the minimum wage measure, 1433, both doing well in the polls. Um, that's sort of where Elway's probably right, right? They, yeah, and they're, they're high enough. Yeah. They're high enough like it. Uh, they're at 60, 58 and 61 and 62. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the, the extreme risk, go. the extreme risk protection orders is even higher. It was 70% in the Washington poll and, and, and high 60s in the Elway poll. So, so you can pretty much say uh, that those two are going to pass. You're going to have extreme risk protection orders and a phased in um, $13.50 statewide minimum wage over four years. Uh, and the polls, as, as we're saying, they sort of confirm each other. Yeah, the the sixty seven percent I'm reading here for that for that extreme risk protection uh, order measure, the gun measure, um, and they have really the field all to themselves. I mean, there's been no organized or funded opposition, which is clearly part of the reason for that strong poll number. Um, it's absolutely breathtaking to me that the gun lobby didn't play here. I mean, I'd never heard of that before. Have you? Yeah, yeah. they 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 didn't take a huge role in background checks either, uh, to the surprise of many. They were here. No, and they, they had, had an up. alternate ballot measure in in 2014. They did, to but people. when you look at the spending, it was something like 500,000 for the gun rights folks to like 12 million. No, they, they, they for were the outspent, gun control, which is why I don't think they wanted to do it again. And I think yeah. that's what's going. Going on here, you have Nick Hanauer, basically a billionaire, who's all over Depends this. on which day of the week. All over this <laughs> issue, um, he has been funding these. He certainly funded the background check measure. He has said very clearly, "I am going to take what it spend what it takes to win these measures." So, so the NRA and the gun rights folks know that to win these, you would have to have at the very least, kind of equivalent spending. Yeah, because they start very popular. So, so you have to undo right. that popularity so, so, it, by, so if you by wanted spending. So if you wanted to beat Hanauer two years ago on the background check measure, you probably had to spend $12 million. And he has said, if they spent $12 million, I would have spent twenty. So then you would have gone to twenty. I mean, his mission here is to bankrupt and affect the NRA. And I think what's happening is they're taking their money and they're playing elsewhere. They're playing in other states where they feel like they've got a better chance and more bang for their buck. They're going to 
get outspent no matter how much they spend on these measures because this Hanauer guy. Well, I've been following uh, the gun measure nationally, the the two background check measures, the one in Maine and the one in Nevada. And you can tell for sure the NRA is playing in Nevada, spending a considerable amount of money. I think that one is closer. They're also spending, but not at any big amount, by my last check in Maine. I think that one has a good chance to pass. But you can also tell if this extreme risk protection order passes here in Washington, and we know it's going to pass, this will become a template for an effort by Nick Hanauer and um, Every Town for Gun Safety to go nationwide yeah. to the initiative states. Now, Absolutely. of course, not all states allow initiatives, so but the ones that do, this is a movement. And that is they the are marching. You're they are marching right. forward with this. They it passes, they're going to send it out. And as I pointed out here before, this didn't actually start here in Washington. Uh, California lawmakers in 2014, after the Santa Barbara killings, came up with this by the lawmakers, Democratic legislatures. So they were able to pass it that way. But you can tell they're going to use the initiative to go to those states. Absolutely. What they can't get at the federal level, and there's clearly been inaction on gun issues at the federal level, they're trying They're trying at the state level. Briefly, minimum wage here. Uh, it, it looks very strong, looks likely to pass. Um, I think the strong economy, you know, is helping. I think if you had, if you were still in the recession, this would be a tougher vote. There's this interesting intersection on this one, which I think is, is part of the story, which is, you know, the progressives and the, you know, young millennials like it, but you've got this sort of, you know, kind of the white working class Trump crowd, if you will, that's worried about wages at that level. So you've got kind of, you know, a, a left and a right coming together and supporting this initiative. Is that your sense of minimum oh, wage? I, oh, absolutely. Uh, want to talk about Initiative 1501? Yeah, this is this one that, that's confusing people, although it seems very easy. Concerns criminals and vulnerable individuals, says the ballot description. It would increase penalties for criminal identity theft, civil consumer fraud. So is there any wonder this is polling at 70% um, more than any of the other initiatives we talked about? But this is a weird one. The more you read about it, the more it sort of smells kind of fishy here. Um, your thoughts on kind of what is behind 1501 that's behind the ballot title? Well, I think this one is in the sort of what is actually going on category. Um, so you have to look at where the money is behind this. And it's all SEIU, the Service Employees Union. Uh, and so this isn't, you know, the words in this are about concerned seniors and vulnerable individuals. And then you find out this isn't really about that at all. This is about something completely different. This is about whether uh, these folks who work in this industry should have union representation or not. Yeah. The Freedom Foundation, which is kind of the, the other side of this, um, they oppose it. They're trying to make sure that home health care workers know that they have a right to opt out of a union. I mean, there was a recent Supreme Court case, and this gets in the weeds, but the idea is that you have a right to opt out. You don't have to forcibly pay union dues if you're in this industry. And they want to kind of outreach to these to these home health care workers. They want the private information that you're apparently able to access, private home information. They're knocking on doors, that kind of stuff. So it is a fight between the union and the sort of conservatives who want to who want to kind of uh, you know dilute the power of the union. That's a lot of what's behind this, but that doesn't say it in the ballot title. All it says in the ballot title is help seniors and disabled and you know and uh, you know 
oppose identity theft. So, so that makes me think it passes because because the way it's framed. I, I think it absolutely kinda, will. It's kind of yeah. weird because they, won they the never ba- really said what it was about. They had a clever ballot title writer, and uh, and and they won that round, if you will. Sound Transit. Got to end on this. This is a great. You know, it's getting more interesting every every day. I it's think. getting closer is what uh, it's doing, don't you think? It is. If my I gut mean, is correct, and it's not always, but it does feel like Sound Transit's getting a little bit closer because there, you know, there is concern about how expensive it is. Fifty-four billion is huge. You've got kind of the Seattle Times, you know, coming out aggressively with with different, you know, critiques about the numbers and how questions. much it's going to cost you and your family. Oh exactly. yeah, so we got everyone's doing you know calculators. Um, you have Kemper Freeman, the head of Bellevue Square, owner of Bellevue Square, who's been opposed to light rail for a long time. He's now kind of getting. His money behind this, um, they're going to still be outspent opponents, but they're up in the air and they've got ads. Um, I would have given this a better chance just a few weeks ago. I still think it wins, but supporters seem a little bit scared when you talk to them. They're not quite as confident. Um, I think support uh, falls out off as you go further out. They need a huge vote in Seattle and King County because because there's going to be a drop-off when you go to Pierce and Snohomish. I mean, don't forget, this is a three-county vote. Um, they're taking a big gamble. You know, I mean, they're they're going for it. Sound Transit, they're going fifty four billion. The first Sound Transit vote was two billion. Sound Transit two was eighteen billion. Sound Transit three is fifty four billion. What's a I few mean, billion among <laughs> friends, Cr? What's your problem? I mean, that's a huge bite. Now, obviously, people have as their top priority, you know, traffic and congestion relief and all the rest. But it's a it's and it's also the first time that Sound Transit has gone for three taxes. There's the car tab tax here, the sales tax and the property tax. I mean, all your taxes get hit. That's, you know, that's going to be a tough sell for for some people, though I still think it wins. I still think, I think there's it, enough. I think this is the one that could keep the um, the election ballot counters awake or going for a few extra weeks, you know how we love to count these ballots so slowly. To me, this is a battle between the urbanists in Seattle who don't want to own a car, and then people throughout the three counties who are stuck in traffic, but can't, they know they can't necessarily afford the taxes you just mentioned. There are so very many of them. I had a conversation uh, with my son who was thinking, you know, come on, I'm for light rail, what should I do? And sort of the idea is, well, you know, a lot of people like like light rail, but they may not be able to afford a, a house, but they'll have a cute little train to ride around in m- many of their days. Uh, so I think it's close, but I think I, my, I if I had to bet, I guess that it, it would in, in the end pass. So and they I, were clever. There, a couple more things. They were clever on doing it in the presidential year. That's a high turnout year, more voters, more progressives. So if they're going to win a $54 billion package, they're certainly not going to win it on an off year. Another thing to say, and this was an interesting fact I just heard the other day. So if you take, you know, the alternative, opponents want an alternative that's basically bus-based, right? A whole bunch of bus rapid transit lines and flood the area with buses and they're more flexible. Buses cause traffic problems. You know, well, right. There's a counter to that. But, you know, this is their argument. I heard this fact recently, which is very interesting. If you take the bus, the rapid ride lines, we got six of them in the region, right? Mostly in and out of Seattle. But there's six of those kind of red rapid ride bus lines. Ridership daily on those six lines is about 67,000. Ridership daily on light rail is about 67,000. So those bus rapid transit lines are taking as many as light rail, and I guarantee you they're doing it 
at much less the cost. Well, my prediction, if it were to fail, my prediction is that they would be back and it would be a a smaller package because that is the tradition and the history with sound transit. But one thing to say about that, I do think you're right. They're not going to give this up, but they probably have to wait four years. They really can't do this in a non-presidential election year. The last time it's... it's, I think they wait two years. That's what I think. I think 2018 is tough. And if you look at the past history, I mean, the first two sound transit measures did lose, but they lost in off years. Then they come back in the presidential year and win, the smaller package in a presidential year. So if you start in a presidential year and lose, you almost have to wait four years for the next cycle. So we could do this like all day, maybe? What do you think? (laughs) We both have day jobs. We both have day jobs. (laughs) So thanks so much for listening to The Analyst. I'm Joni Balter. He is C.R. Douglas, and we are The Analyst. To hear more podcasts from KCTS 9 Digital Studios, visit kcts9.org slash podcasts.